There are times where you just go, man, we, we need to stand and, and hear it read and say it out loud. And so we're just going to read a portion together out loud. So this is Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for forty days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus, we want to be your people and we know that your words shape us. So I ask by your power that you would introduce yourself to people. In this place, you would... Replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that are soft and warm to your leading. Make us the new people that you desire for yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. There is um, much power to the Word of God, and it's why, as Christ followers, we, we, we run to it. Uh, and I, and I want to just introduce this gospel idea to you if you've not heard it or if you have. At Highland, in, in, in the Christian world, we use the word gospel a lot, uh, meaning good news. Greater than that, it actually means news that brings great joy. Now, when Mark used this word, it wasn't a, tied to a religious connection. In fact, we found historical uh, plates from Rome that say, this is the good news of Caesar Augustus, and it would talk about his his birth and the coronation into leadership and all those different things. And um, during some of the wars that the Greeks and the Persians would fight, and two main war uh, battles that were won by the Greeks, uh, they actually sent out heralders or evangelists, not Christians, not coming with a Christian message, but they were people who would announce, "Hey, we won this war. We won this battle." 
Come out from your hiding. You're no longer slaves, but you're free. We won. We won. And they would announce it in a good news fashion. Good news, this kind of news, this earth-shattering news, this history-changing news, is what the gospel is an announcement about. Jesus is this announcement. Now, there's an interesting announcement that was made in July of 2010 that had major implications for two major cities uh, in the United States. And I remember where I was because I watched this announcement, this decision that LeBron James made. The answer to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? Um, in this fall, man, it's, it's very tough. Um, in this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Miami Heat. That was the conclusion you woke up with this morning. That was the conclusion I woke up with this morning. That could ever happen to Cleveland since Modell taking the bronze away. Bottom line. Bottom line. My name's Jeffrey LaRoque. I just want to say that I'm a big LeBron fan, and this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. I just want to say I've been a Cleveland sports fan all my life. I went to the to see Cavs games before LeBron was there. I'll never go back again. I hope the franchise moves. I hope there's no more basketball in Cleveland. And I thought for once in my life. With how much I love Cleveland sports, it would love me back. And that has not happened today. That's all I have to say. Oh, man. Talk about a lesson on idolatry. We could go for hours on that, but we won't uh, hear on that conversation. But when announcements are made, there are things that happen. And now, if you still follow the story, you know there was another announcement made four years later. And this time, Cleveland responded in a different way long for the news to spread down here at Quicken Loans Arena that LeBron James is coming back. Nobody's getting any work done this afternoon in their offices. Everybody has just trickled out down here. You got people high-fiving each other. You got cars going by, beeping the horns as loud as they can. Everybody's just gearing up for this cab season. One guy told me he was actually at home ironing his witness t-shirt when he heard the news and he couldn't wait to get down here let me talk to some of y'all y'all are making all this noise tell me what you're thinking right now get home right now come on we want you back right now right now get here and this guy's got his number 23 shirt on already did you wear that to work today in anticipation yeah i did actually i've been wearing cap stuff all week did you ever have any doubt? Guys, yeah, he's from the north, okay? Yeah, don't laugh at his accent. Best player in the world coming back home. It's awesome. Are you, are you going to take that off ever? I don't think so. It worked so far this week. If I feel this good every time I wear it, might as well. 
All right, what about you over there? You just, you just, you were late to the party. You just walked up. Why did you come over? I've always been there for LeBron. We left Miami. I was there for LeBron. I was going to yeah. stay for LeBron. Woo! So that's what's going on here at the Q. Expect more of that this afternoon and on into the evening. Everybody happy that LeBron is coming home. Back to you guys in the studio. I know, right? It's an announcement and implications on both sides. You know, uh, good news for, for some, obviously, the first time, Cleveland and tears. I mean, you should, uh, some of the reaction videos are absolutely hilarious. Guys burning jerseys and all this different stuff. I mean, it is intense. But in Miami, they're running out, grabbing new jerseys, and everything is exciting. But when we talk about the good news, when it comes to the Christian understanding of the gospel, it is about a person. It is not talking points. It is not teaching points. It is not advice. It is a person, and that person is Jesus. The good news about Jesus the Messiah, some of the phrasing Mark uses. Uh, he says Jesus preaches God's good news. Believe the good news. These are things we are invited to uh, to consider when we read through the first chapter of Mark. In Mark 1, look at verse 1. Mark gives us a, a very interesting window into Jesus' unique fulfillment and authority. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. You and I, again, need to run back to the understanding that the gospel is not teaching points or points of information. The gospel is a person. And Mark makes that clear. Tim Keller says that every, the essence of every other religion or non-religion, for that, mac, that matter of fact, is very simply advice. Advice. That if you do X, Y, and Z, you might get this result. With religion, it's X, Y, and Z, and you get God, maybe. Maybe. Even with non-religion, live your life however you want. That's advice. Do this. Be happy. Advice. Christianity is an announcement of something earth-shattering, history-changing that has come into the world through the person of Jesus. Christianity is not advice. It is an announcement, a good news announcement. And why we call it the gospel is because it is very good news. Mark uses titles in the very first phrasing. I mean, the very first words we see, Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. So every time we say Jesus' name, we're actually announcing what God does. We're actually announcing what he's doing with us. He's saving us. Jesus means the Lord saves. Jesus means... Jesus means... So when we say Jesus' name, we're actually saying this is what he does. The Lord saves. He also uses another title. He says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And I have to help all of us understand that 700, roughly 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene, God makes an announcement about an announcer coming before the one who is the announcement, which is an amazing thing when you think about it. 
God was like, you know what? I want things so specific that they won't miss it. Unfortunately, with our hard hearts, we do miss things. But even John the Baptist's role is announced. He's coming, but he's not the announcement. He's going to be making an announcement about the announcement. And I love that the way God thinks, and this is what we have to kind of wrap our brains around. This good news announcement wasn't Jesus's rogue mission. Jesus wasn't like, all right, Old Testament God, I'm tired of how you're doing things. So I'm going to step into time and I'm going to take this another route. They are intimately connected. The Messiah means the anointed one, the one set apart to be in this service. And so this announcement was made in Genesis. They're intimately connected from Genesis to Revelation. The good news announcement is packed solid in the scripture. So Jesus coming in on the scene is not Jesus kind of, you know what, God, I think you, God, your Old Testament God ways are just not working. I'm going to try a new plan. The plan, there is no other plan. It's always been the plan. Jesus, the Messiah, the predicted one. And I told you, uh, that Mark kind of hits these fast-paced, wanting to give everybody this view into this person, this authoritative figure, Jesus, to say that he was predicted. This is not new stuff. For these people to go, wait a minute, somebody predicted this? Okay, you've got my ear. I'm paying attention. Mark was one who had a heart for people, Gentiles in particular. You and I, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, to understand the authority of who Christ is and what he came to do. Mark also fills us in on the fact that the rescuer would be one who would come wearing sandals, so he would look like us, but he also was not like us. That title, Son of God, is not something that came up later in history and then was titled to Jesus. It was understood that Jesus made this announcement of himself. He was not the one who the people were like, oh, wait, you know what? This guy looks like God, so let's call him that. Jesus said it of himself in John chapter 10. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you, not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. When your enemies know what you say about you, that's a good indicator. Matthew chapter 10, verse 36. Why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the Son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do His work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So this title, these names that Mark just starts with, Jesus, the Lord saves, the Messiah, the one who was predicted from the beginning, Son of God, he is raising our view of who Jesus is. He is not giving us any wiggle room to go, Jesus is just a good teacher. Jesus is another philosophizer. He's another guy who's just going to write a book and sell it. He's not a blog writer. He's not a podcaster. He is God stepping in to humanity. We have a very small view of Jesus today. We need to understand who Jesus reveals himself to be. George Whitfield said it this way, he was truly God and therefore could satisfy. He was truly man and therefore could obey and suffer in our stead. He was God and man in one person. 
that God and man might be happy together again. We see Jesus' plan and this plan that started in creation and at the very beginning of time there was no other plan and the Father, the Spirit, and the Word are all together at creation. And it's an amazing picture and we actually see in um, Mark chapter 1 verse 10, as Jesus came out of the, up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This is this beautiful triune picture. We talk about the Trinity, this understanding that there's God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're not the same, but they're not three gods. There's one God, three three persons, and they're not the same. But what we see in this picture is this, this amazing, intimate relationship between the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And we see God, the Father, publicly affirming the Son. Now, see, we like affirmation. We do. We're just creatures. We're bent that way. We like when somebody says, hey, good job. Proud of you. But we like it even more when it's done publicly, right? We like it even more if we're standing with a group of people and someone comes over and says, hey, way to go on that thing. We say, could you say that louder? Because I want all of these people to hear about you saying I did a good job. We love public affirmation. And so here's the deal. God did not pull Jesus aside up on a mountaintop and decide to do this affirmation where he's like, you're my dearly loved son, just don't tell anyone. (laughs) He decided to do it publicly. He did it in public so that people would see this relationship. And then we see the unique, the, the, the Holy Spirit and the relationship that is there between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see this relationship where the Father is pouring out His love on the Son and the Holy Spirit is filling uh, the Son with the power and the Son is pointing people back to the Father. And it's this beautiful, intimate picture. And they've not just been there in this picture. But in Genesis 1, you see the Father, the Word, and the Spirit together at creation. This is a beautiful picture that they are not just intimately connected to our creation, but this triune rescue plan is intimately connected to our recreation. The Father, the Son, the Spirit involved in every element of this rescue plan. Jesus is good news. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus is not a different picture and an upset God of, oh, the Old Testament God, you don't got things right, so I'm going to try this other thing. The announcement of the coming Messiah is packed through Genesis to Revelation. Jesus announces the Father's plan, the rescue plan of a broken people. Jesus is saying that the clock in God's economy has gone off. It's ready. The kingdom is coming. The motion of this kingdom that's coming, a family announcement that Jesus was going to prove to be true by who he is and what he was going to do. Knowing who Jesus is and what he came to do, Mark gives us a quick hitting imagery of Jesus living the kingdom life, inviting us to that kingdom life, but by his death and resurrection, he solidifies this promise to us. We know that during Jesus' time in the desert, 
where he was tempted for 40 days, Satan came and messed with him, tempting him. And uh, Mark doesn't give us the full account. You can actually go to Matthew chapter 4 and read it for yourself. And it's okay that Mark doesn't give us the whole story. I think sometimes we're like, wait a minute, Mark's short and there's a lot of details left out, so how do we justify it? You know what? Here's the deal. Mark was an evangelist, and if you know anything about the Christian world and know anything about evangelists, they leave out a lot of details. They give you the bare bones. And there's a reason for that because they trust that as the Holy Spirit works in us, brings us alive through faith in Christ, that there will be a point where you come to and you begin to learn the deeper things, the, the, the teachings, the doctrine, the theology, all of those things. Evangelists just kind of give you the bare bones. And that's good. It's a good thing. So Mark does leave out some of the details, but it doesn't make it any less valid than Matthew's description. But what we do know about the temptation of Jesus in the desert is Satan came to question who he is and what he came to do. It's what he does. It's what the enemy does at creation. What did he tempt Adam and Eve with? Who they are and what they were purposed for. Oh, you're not God. Yeah, whatever. You don't need to be near God. You just need to be God's. Forget about being near him. Oh, you, you don't need to glorify God. No, you, you glorify yourself. That's what you were made for. And we see that is his trick in this world. He doesn't want anyone to know who they are, who they were made for. And we see it in our recreation as well. Satan doesn't stop with those attacks, does he? Who we are, what we were made for. He goes after it all the time. And because Jesus was tempted, but without sin, he's qualified to be our representative before God. Jesus never forgot who he was, nor what he came to do. This is good news. This is the announcement. This promised one, history-making, changing our status with the Lord forever. And I was really wrestling with this because what we see is Jesus actively announcing a kingdom, but we see him actively inviting people to respond to that announcement. And I was really wrestling with that. I was going, okay, I know there's going to be some people in here that'll be like, okay, I hear your good news announcement, but now you're telling me how to believe. And here's the thing. The good news, the gospel is not me telling you how to believe. The good news is me saying, this is what Jesus says to believe. He's giving us a what-to-believe announcement. And I was wrestling with the whole belief thing, and I was going, wait a minute. Every announcement, by its nature, invites belief or unbelief. Every announcement of every kind invites belief or unbelief. So don't think this is a unique gospel thing. It's every announcement. Think about those LeBron James fans in Cleveland. If they had chosen, I'm sure when they heard the announcement, I guarantee you someone in that city said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. That's how we respond to these types of news things that happen. I don't believe. Belief is connected to these announcements regardless. It's not just a gospel thing. If they had said, you know what? I don't believe that LeBron is going to Miami and they walked in that unbelief, they would still buy tickets like LeBron was there. They'd be a lot easier to get tickets. (laughs) They would go to the games with their LeBron James jerseys on. They would stand up during the game and cheer for LeBron. And all these Cleveland fans would be like, what is wrong with these guys? 
But in Miami, they were like, I believe the Messiah has come to Miami. And they would go out and buy tickets that showed that belief. They'd go buy the jerseys. They'd do everything. You know, it's interesting because, you know, if you take, take, take a war, war scenario. If the, if the Greek announcers had come to these villages and said, look, the war is won. We're, you're free. Come out of hiding. They have two choices with that announcement, don't they? A or B. Believe it. Come out of hiding. Start to live life. Live with people. Not be afraid. Or B, they don't believe it, and they stay in hiding, and they stay trapped, they stay together, they, they, they continue to cower. You know, World War II, at the announcement of the end of World War II, those soldiers had a choice, right, to believe the announcement of the war being over, or they could have kept fighting. Belief or unbelief comes with announcements. And Jesus is this announcement, and it's a game changer, and it's history making. And so this morning as we close, as, as Nate comes and lead, leads us in a time of worship, and we consider our active response, John baptized people who had already confessed belief, and their lives were about to head on the journey of this new way of life. Baptism was a public confession that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm believing that good news announcement. That's what we're invited to. That's what we're invited to consider. That's what Jesus, when he says, I'm him, I'm the rescuer, you cannot earn your way back to God. You cannot work your way back to God. In fact, none of you are really trying to get back to God. You're actually trying to set up your own kingdoms, so you don't even know that you need me. Why the announcement? So that people will begin to know that Jesus is enough. You see, for for us, that is the story that we're invited into. That's the story from Genesis to Revelation. God makes an announcement. These are my people. And the people said, we don't want you. And so because of who God is, because sin has tainted us from the inside out, by God's nature, he cannot come close to us. You want to know why? Because we would die in his presence. Well, why doesn't God just change the scale? Why didn't he just do something? God is unchanging. He can't change himself. (laughs) He is unchanging. But thanks be to God, there was a change that needed to be made that we couldn't do on our own, that he decided to make for us in Christ. When we believe on Christ, that relationship is restored. Jesus, without sin, lived a sinless life. So he was qualified to die our death and raising from the dead, giving us new life. The war has come to an end. Jesus made friends out of enemies. All of us, the Bible says, all of us have gone astray. We are in need of a rescuer. The beauty of the gospel is even when you and I were in the middle of my sin and your sin, that means when you were in the midst of that deep, dark, secret sin that nobody else knows about, Jesus' rescue came at just the right time. 
You had no way out, but he has provided one. Believe on the good news. Repentance is a gift for us as believers. I think sometimes we think that repentance is the first thing, the entrance into the gospel. It's not. Belief is. Repentance is a gift for us as we learn about this good news, as it continues to infiltrate every part of our being. Where I was thinking in this way, Jesus introduces me to another way of thinking. Where I was thinking in this realm, Jesus introduces me to another way of living. That's repentance. Not just changing my direction, but he's shaping the way I think about myself and who God is. Ultimately, how do I enter into that relationship is through faith. Repentance comes. Actions follow when belief is present. This is a good news announcement. Jesus has changed everything. The Messiah has come. God has stepped into time. Do you believe that announcement? This morning we are going to be baptizing, and really it's just in line of of what John announced. John announced, hey, be baptized to show that you've repented of your sins and you have turned to God to be forgiven. Baptism is an expression of belief. I believe. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. It doesn't save us. It's just a response to what Jesus has done. We'll be baptizing, and we get to do that together as a family, as the body of Christ, to journey that together is a gift as we celebrate what God is doing on the inside. We're reminded of our death to this life, but also to our resurrection to new life with Christ. And so this morning, if you, if you would like, there are going to be some elders and some gel leaders standing over to this side of the room, and they would love to just pray for you. If you're at a place in your journey where you're going, I find myself believing this and I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. I don't know where to run. That's why we do this together. And so if, you, if that's you, all they would want to do is just pray for you. It won't make you fill out any cards or do anything strange. But it is just the body of Christ getting to be the body of Christ on this journey together. You're invited into that. Father, I just ask that in this time, we would see Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as the one who has come into the world and changed everything. History is different now. Everything has changed. And I ask for our hearts this morning that you would do the resurrection life thing that you do. And that by your Holy Spirit, your people would be reminded of who we are, alive in Christ, dead to sin, dead to this world, but alive in Christ. So Jesus, we just rejoice that you're at work, and we want to believe that announcement. And Lord, may it infiltrate every portion of our heart, every vein in our body, that our lives might be lived, as Joel mentioned this morning, in thanksgiving. In your name we pray.